0: Welcome everybody, I'm Richard Krause. I hope that you're staying happy, healthy, and safe. We have an interesting show today, so let's get right at it. Do you recognize this music? Don't know about the future, that's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Buy up your pen and pencil, I give you a piece of my mind. In my opinionation, the sun is gonna surely shine. If so, that probably means that you've been watching one of my guests on television for decades. That was the theme song for the sitcom Blossom, starring my guest Mayim Bialik. Since then, she has played neuroscientist Amy Farrah Fowler on the incredibly popular Big Bang Theory, written books, earned a PhD in neuroscience from UCLA, and currently stars in the new sitcom Call Me Cat! and if that wasn't enough, hosts the primetime version of Jeopardy. The
1: category for Final Jeopardy is Around the World. Here is the clue.
0: Today, she joins me to talk about her directorial debut, As They Made Us, a family drama starring Candace Bergen and Dustin Hoffman. We'll meet Mayim in just a little while. First though, let's get to know Jamie Chai Young-Liu. She's a lawyer and a law professor specializing in immigration, refugee and citizenship law, and the creator of the podcast Migration Conversations. She brings that experience to the critically acclaimed debut novel Dandelion, the story of an Asian woman who traces her mother's past journey in order to learn who she really is and where she belongs. Jamie Chai Young Liu joined me via Zoom. You are a lawyer, a law professor. You specialize in immigration, uh, refugee, and citizenship law. Uh, You're the creator of a podcast named Migration Conversations. Why add author to an already really lengthy resume?
2: Well, I have to say, I enjoy writing. um, And when I wrote this piece, it was really an extension of the work that I was already doing. I was doing a lot of research and writing on migration and in particularly at the time on statelessness. And there was a lot of um, things that I couldn't write about in my own academic work that I wanted to explore. And this was a perfect vehicle for that. And at the time I was on sabbatical, I was privileged enough to have the time to delve into these issues more deeply. And I have to say it's, you know, for anyone who does writing, it is an extremely enjoyable process if you are um, able to convey all the thoughts that you can't express in other kinds of ways.
0: Did you find it was like a muscle? The more that you wrote, the the stronger that muscle got?
2: Yeah, it's really um, amazing because, you know, before I wrote this piece, I wanted to see if I could do it. I hadn't done a lot of creative writing before that. Um, As you said, I I wear a lot of hats. I don't have a lot of time sometimes, but I do have to say that the more I do it, the more I love it and the more um, enjoyable it becomes so it's kind of a, a passion project for me now and I try to carve out time to do it more than I can afford to, to be honest.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the book Dandelion is rich in imagery that deals with the immigrant experience. So tell me how your work as a lawyer that uh, deals with immigration issues uh, informed this book. Uh, Is it in some ways based on real life, the story, or is it based on real people, an amalgam perhaps of a number of people? Uh, How did it influence your writing?
2: Yeah, so there are some influences from real life that informed the work. Definitely, I saw within my own family, Um, my father was born stateless and immigrated to Canada in the 70s. Um, And one of the main characters in the book was a former stateless person. So I, I drew a lot of themes and influence from my own family history. But as you said, I'm also an immigration lawyer and I have a lot of interaction with migrants and persons seeking to come to Canada or who are in Canada, who are um, trying to make a home for themselves. And so the story is also one that is inspired by people's struggle to belong, um, people struggle to find community, but also um, explores tensions of um, longing for the home that they left behind. and. For the specific connections that um, are only uh, ones through people who understand your language, your culture, your and the kinds of kinship that they um, express with one another.
0: Interesting that that feeling can be uh, is very specific in the book, but it's a universal. Uh, migrant experience, I would imagine. It is something that uh, doesn't matter where you come from or what your background is, that will always be part of your experience.
2: Exactly. I think it is, like you said, universal and common. And I think, you know, one of the things I wanted to explore beyond that was the, the sense that belonging really is one that is within your control to some extent and not within your control to some extent. And how people perceive you or treat you within your community has a lot to do with the way in which you identify yourself and the way in which you may feel that day or it can affect your your mental health, frankly. And especially during the pandemic, I did write this novel before that, but it really came home to me as I was doing the final edits of this book, that it's all the more important today to talk about community, to talk about the fact that we can't assume that people are not our community members, that we really should treat each other with more humanity than, um, than we um, see out there in the world right now and to not place a lot of assumptions about where people come from. You're
0: listening to Jamie Chai Yun-Liu on The Richard Krause Show. Her book, Dandelion, is available wherever fine books are sold.
2: Um, I think a lot of racialized migrants especially struggle with that, the fact that we always have to confront with the fact that people are going to ask us where we're from. Um, when we arrived here, what we're doing here, and always to, you know, have to deal with these, um, un, you know, unsaid questions sometimes about um, whether we actually uh, deserve to be here. So I hope people read the story and understand from the perspective of racialized migrants what kinds of encounters can really disrupt a person's life and what that may do to them.
0: So the characters that are in the book are complex. Uh, we've talked about how in some ways they're based on on people that you have known, but I remember speaking with the author Douglas Copeland at one point, and he told me that once he gets into writing and he's really sort of in the groove of it with the characters, he said, it's almost as if the characters stand on my shoulders and whisper into my ears what they want to have happen. So did you find that over the time that you were writing on this, that the characters may have been based on people that you've met or known uh but they eventually just take a life of their own.
2: They really do. I actually feel like um uh that the characters in the book are people in my world. I they feel real to me and I can relate with um, the experience that Douglas Col- Copeland told you about because while I was writing it, you know, for me writing is not just sitting at a computer and typing the words out, but I, I think about projects while I'm on a walk, I might be in conversation with my kid playing with them and something will pop up or something will trigger an idea or a conversation. Um, I have, you know, been, I'll I'll note down something on my phone, even just watching a documentary on TV, for example, I mean, the other day, I was watching the nature of things with my kids, and uh, it triggered something that I wanted to write about. So I think, like Douglas, you know, characters and Um, things and themes in the books, they're always with me as I'm writing and I'm constantly uh, thinking through all of this.
0: Did the book follow the trajectory that you had thought it would when you sat down and started writing? If you are able to be influenced by an episode of a television show or a walk or a a character whispering in your ear, uh, did the book follow the path that you thought it was going to follow?
2: No. <laughs> um I have to say that um you know because I'm very new to this world I was not trained in creative writing I had not taken any courses on creative writing and um but I am an avid reader and so a lot of what I was trying to do was just to put words on the page and then see where it would take me. Mm-hmm. And I knew I um you know the main character's name is Lily and I knew I wanted to I knew who Lily was and I knew uh, what questions she was grappling with. So I knew, um, that, but other than that, you know, the world really, and her story really manifested just over time and, and, and the ability to just sit down and be able to spend time with her. And so, yeah, I think I feel very lucky that I had that time with her and I've learned a lot in that process, um, in terms of where her story could have gone and where, uh, Uh, And I'm glad that it it has shifted over time, you know, so it certainly the first draft of the novel certainly took her to different places than it did in the end. And uh, it's a journey for sure.
0: Well, they always say that the art of writing is in the rewriting. When I write, I just get it down and then I go back and that's where the real work starts to happen. The idea is one thing, it's carving it into something else uh, that you want to show people is a completely different process.
2: That's exactly it. Um, And it's, you know, I I find that the putting words on the page, the easy part, the hard part is actually revisiting all of that to make sure it works, um, to make sure it flows and to ensure that you're still you know, tugging the readers along with you, and I think that is more difficult for me than the actual art of just putting words on a page.
0: You're listening to Jamie Chai Yun Liu on the Richard Kraus Show. Her novel Dandelion is available now wherever you buy fine books. Were there books that were formative for you?
2: Yeah, I mean, there. I have to say that a lot of authors before me who write from their own diasporic. Um, um, connections and family history um, informed my work. Um, I, you know, one of the funny things that happened was uh, I read Crazy Rich Asians and um, I was just so astonished to see my mother tongue in that book that, and I know this sounds strange, but it really does, it really is important to see your language and yourself represented in places. And after reading that, I knew I wanted to write my own book and it, it, it was It was a a moment for me where I said wow this is people are reading this people will read it people are drawn to this and so um, I felt it was very important to write stories that are not you know mainstream but also write stories that might not be um, what people expect of the Chinese diaspora you know I don't come from the dominant Mandarin or Cantonese community and so I felt it was very important to be true to my own experience and and convey that in this book so I would say, you know, there's a lot of um, authors that identify as Asian or Chinese, Korean before me that really inspired me. Um, And other authors that write from their own communities that are not afraid to show um, stories that come directly from their communities. Those have really um, inspired me to write my own story.
0: Well, I think representation is so important, and stories uh, like yours, like the book Dandelion, movies like Turning Red, perhaps, the Pixar film, uh, there's all, I mean, the list can go on and on, are like little machines for empathy. You know, once you expose people to uh, a world that perhaps they're not familiar with, all of a sudden, you've got someone who realizes that essentially, you know, we all just want the same stuff, and uh, people aren't that different. And so yeah. I think that's that's where stories like this and 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 others are so important, not only for representation in their own communities, uh, but outside of that as well.
2: Yeah, and I hope that you know um, this book also makes people feel that way. I try to write it in a way where um, I invite you into a world that might not seem familiar to you, but at the same time, the experiences that Lily. Goes through in her own story are familiar. You know, one of the things that um, I try to um, thread throughout the story is her struggle with motherhood and becoming a new mother and her own um, complicated feelings about her own mother. And I think a lot of people experience that, Mm -hmm. right? So, um, you know, I hope that people find um, strangeness and familiarity as they read the book.
0: What advice would you pass on to a writer who, like you, is deciding, I've never taken a class, but I read a lot, and I really, I've got a story to tell. What advice would you give to them?
2: I would just say, start doing it. Um, I did, you know, (laughs) I came to this late in life after doing other things, as you said, and I think, you know, for me, I wanted to see, first of all, if I enjoyed it and i think for those of you who enjoy writing just to keep at it for those of you who think that they might enjoy it and haven't started i would just say just start and and it doesn't matter what the quality of the draft is Uh, for me i literally just you know laid words on a page and then went back later to to work on it And, and and in that process I really surprised myself. You're
0: listening to Jamie Chai Yun Liu on the Richard Krauss show. Her novel Dandelion is available now wherever you buy fine books.
2: Of course there were some passages where I read and said, "Wow, well, that's that's not great." <laughs> and then other passages where you're like, "Well, I can't believe I wrote that. Um it sounds beautiful and I and if nothing else I enjoy it, you know. So I would just encourage people to, you know, enjoy the process and to and to honor yourself by giving that time to, to doing that. And, and that it is a craft. You know, I, I continually read about writing. I read books that I uh, find to be, um, that speak to me. And so for people who are writing to also read a lot, you know, I think that is an important part of learning the craft.
0: People ask me about writing. I've written a few books and people ask me about writing and I give the same advice. Just do it there's always a reason not to write. There's always something better to do probably, or you always stare at that blank page and think, ah. But one thing that I've learned, uh, and it's from a movie called Patterson, and I won't tell you the long setup to it, but I love a scene where a poet whose life's work has gone missing. He never showed it to anyone, just wrote it all in a book and the dog eats the book. And someone gives him a book, another book, and and he looks at it, expecting it to have printing inside, and it doesn't. It's just blank pages. So we can start again. And the person that gave him the book said, every page here is a possibility. And once those words burrowed themselves into my head, I was like, of course, I can do whatever I want on this page. And that is exciting. And that's more the way that I approach writing now than I did, I think, previously
2: yeah, I think a lot of people view it as labor, which it is, right? But for me, I think the end product is a bonus because I think if you you know approach it as a process to enjoy, then that's more rewarding as well. And like you said, it is kind of a joy to explore what you can put on the page. So I think it's a really wonderful way to see writing, that there's a book full of of possibility in an empty notebook, you know.
0: And when the books arrive, at your front door it's a very exciting day after you've I after you've, book
2: yet, so you I'm, haven't gotten it yet i haven't gotten it yet so i'm really really excited
0: <laughs> I, i'll tell you so in my case uh the first time i think the the deal was that i would get 25 or 50 copies i can't remember and uh the box arrived and i'd wanted to write a book my entire life i'd i'd thought about it it's all i'd worked towards and i thought as soon as i opened this box that dream is gone. It'll be cool to see my name on the side of a of a book, on the spine of a book. But as soon as I open the box, the dream is gone, and then I have to make a decision: Do I want to do this again? Do I want to start all over again? Or do I just like revel in it for a little bit? And uh, I opened the box, loved it, and started writing the next book the next day. I think so. Get ready for it. It's very exciting, though. I
2: I am truly excited, and you know, and it's so nice that um, people like you are interested in in this work. I just you know, um, it's one thing to publish a book, but another to know that people are going to read it. So, you know, it's, and, and especially with, you know, the times that we're in where attention is short and people don't have a lot of time the, the fact that they choose to pick up your book is just an honor. So it's, thank you.
0: <laughs> well, congratulations on it. And, uh, and are you working on another one now, or are you waiting till at least you get this one in your hand?
2: I am working on one now. Um, I have to say it's in very rough condition. Um, I do have a character fully developed in my mind. I've started the drafting, um, but you know, as with many other people, the pandemic has really interfered with a lot of my writing plans, but I hope to get back at it soon. And I'm excited about the next chapter, so to speak.
0: (laughs) Well, I'll keep my fingers crossed for you. Um, Thank you so much. Pleasure to speak to you. And congratulations on Dandelion.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: You've been listening to Jamie Chai Yun Liu on The Richard Krauss Show. Her novel Dandelion is available now wherever you buy fine books. Check it out. It's really worth a look. In this segment, we're going to get to know Mayam Bialik. Now, it feels like we already know her pretty well because we've been watching her on screens, big ones and little ones ever since the late 1980s. We saw her in The Facts of Life, in Beauty and the Beast. It wasn't until a couple of shows, one on the small screen, one on the big screen, made her a household name. In 1988, she played Bette Midler's character as a young girl in the movie Beaches, but it was the sitcom Blossom that really cemented her fame. Since then, she has played the neuroscientist Amy Farrah Fowler on the incredibly popular Big Bang Theory. She's written books. She has a PhD in neuroscience from UCLA, and she currently stars in a new sitcom called Call Me Cat. And of course, she took over for our beloved Alex Trebek, on the primetime version of Jeopardy. Today she joins me to talk about her directorial debut, As They Made Us, a family drama starring Candace Bergen and Dustin Hoffman.
1: Ma really shouldn't be leaving
0: you. No, no, don't be hard on her. She's doing a terrific job, Abby. Do you ever tell her that? I couldn't tell her that. (laughs) He just did. It's the story about balancing the dynamics within a dysfunctional family, and it's getting great reviews. Check it out on VOD right now. Mayim Bialik, join me via Zoom. I read in the press notes here that you say you grew up in a family that lived by this motto, if we don't laugh, we cry. Now, you seem to have brought that forward uh, to the writing and directing of As they made us. So tell me about finding this balance between the real family drama, the tragedy of the story, and the humor, because there are times here where I laughed out loud, which I didn't necessarily expect. So tell me a little bit about formulating that.
1: Um, yeah, you know, I, I grew up in a very complicated home. Um, I grew up in a home with with mental illness and with addiction, and we didn't talk about those things. You know, those were the things you don't talk about.
3: Mm-hmm. And,
1: um, you know, while there was a lot of chaos and, and unpredictability, and and my parents struggled deeply, there was also a tremendous amount of love and connection and, and laughter. My parents were hilarious. I mean, they were hilarious. <laughs> and so... When I wanted to write this script I I wanted to use some of that kind of truth you know it's not autobiographical so I I don't necessarily mean like truth of literally things some of the things are literal but that's really for me and my my mom to know about Um, but what I wanted to show was what what I think is just an an honest representation of the complexity of a lot of families Um, and you know the the people in charge of the movie on the other side are like, make it funnier, like it should be funnier. And I was like, no, it feels like that's like about enough funny. Um, You know, a lot funnier things happened and sometimes at the most tragic times. Uh, But I really, you know, in in writing this script wanted to try and strike that balance. And what's interesting to me in the screenings that I've sat in and also in showing my children who are 13 and 16 now, but who Mm. were, you know, um, little, my father passed away seven years ago, so they were, you know, younger. Um, the things that they find funny because they understand different things about some of the things that the grandma does or that the mom does. Um, so there's a, a real subjectivity to this film. You know, um, It it's gonna depend a lot on how comfortable you are with uncomfortable feelings, um, how much you feel a need to laugh and have that release and how much you're okay with it being strange and sometimes funny when you wish it wasn't, you know? And to me, that's just kind of what my life is like. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I find that when you are in a situation like that, when you are a caregiver for someone, uh, that things that you have never really thought of in your life become paramount and of paramount importance. And the line that I loved and and wrote down here, uh, you're talking about Lipitor, Candice Berger is talking about Lipitor, and she said you know, he can't die just now. We just figured out the right dosage and now he's going to die. It's a fantastic line because so often you become ruled by a teaspoon of medicine here, pills at noon or whatever. And it just becomes part of the way that your new normal is. And sometimes people joke about those things and there's a darkness to it, but I think that there's, it's important as a catharsis. Sometimes.
1: Um, It's really funny that you, that you brought this up because there was so much debate just like internally with like the investors and the the producers and all these things about like, they thought that that joke went on too long. And I mean, there was all these conversations and, you know, there's actually, it's in two parts. And she says, we just figured out his Lipitor. Mm-hmm. And you can end the scene there. And this is right. me thinking more as like a writer and director.
0: You're listening to Maya Bialik on The Richard Krause Show. Her film, As They Made Us, is available on VOD right now.
1: But to me, the funnier line is the second one, the one you just said. Like... We just figured it out, and now he's gonna die. Um, and I do think, like that—that that is the absurdity of you know how we function in, in stressful times. And you know, I, I come from a family deeply impacted by the Holocaust and by you know the the pogroms that um, forced my family you know out of their homes and onto boats across an ocean that they knew nothing about. Um, so that sadness hung very heavy in my life. Um, and also this notion of we have to find a way you know out of it and that's where the comedy of my family kind of comes in.
0: You talked earlier about not wanting, uh, to suggest that this is semi-autobiographical. There are elements of that. There are notes of yes. that in this story. I'm but fine
1: you're... with semi-autobiographical. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I'm not selling it as a memoir because it's not.
0: <laughs> but but you're a very public person. You've been famous since you were very young. And uh, people, I would imagine, have poked around in your life a little bit because that's just what happens these days, I suppose. Um, tell me a little bit about what it was like for you to shed some kind of light on your family's story on the big screen yeah
1: (laughs) extremely uncomfortable um you know i sat on this script after i wrote it for about a year like i didn't Mm. i didn't even know i i didn't write it like i'm gonna write a script and turn it into a movie I was really just kind of processing a lot after you know my father's passing and um extremely vulnerable, very uncomfortable, you know, especially like for, you know, my mom, because I keep telling her over and over, I didn't write you, you know, I wrote a character that needed to tell a story. I mean, sure. There are features of her in there. I'm sure she thinks so too. Right. Um, But the the idea was again, to to tell a story in the, in the simplest, most discreet and most compelling way. Like that's to me as a writer, what I had to sort of take on. Um, But yeah, many people who know my family, you know, have said like, oh, this scene, like I remember that or, you know, for my cousins, you know, especially my cousins in Israel, my cousins here, mm-hmm. you know, that they, they're watching it almost like there are parts of it that must feel very strange to them, you know, because the things that we lived through and experienced and a couple of my cousins who visited my father before he passed said, you set up the beds just like it was in your parents' condo, you know. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's very vulnerable. There's a, a large degree of uncomfortability. And um, it's a tremendous relief, you know, that it's that it's finally out, you know, mm-hmm. instead of all the kind of anticipation. Um, and the fact that it it has been well received is is unbelievable. You know, the fact that it, it seems to mean something to a lot of people is really, really gratifying. And um, yeah.
0: Do you think that in some way, this is a way of helping you process the events surrounding your father's passing?
1: um it's it's a subtle point but um i actually believe that all the work i did before my father got sick is what allowed me Mm. to then arrive at the place where Mm. i was able to process this way um, you know, with my father died of multi system atrophy, um, and so I don't name it. You know, in the movie because there are other things that can you know look like that. It's a, a progressive neurodegenerative condition, and anyway, um, you know, it took years to get a diagnosis because it's a with with MSA it's often they think it's Parkinson's or they think it's this. And anyway, so there was a, a, a process of that that takes time.
0: You're listening to Mayim Bialik on the Richard Krauss show. Her film As They Made Us is on VOD right now.
1: And so I had been, I've been in therapy since I'm, you know, like 16, you know, this is not new for me to process what I grew up in. So it's kind of all that work, you know, that got me there. And um, allowed me to be able to sit with my father and to do music therapy for my father as he passed, and and the, and my father also was a writer, and my parents were documentary filmmakers, so there was something also very cathartic about creating the way that he has created.
0: There was a point that the film makes that uh, trauma, which we all seem to run from because sure. you know it's trauma, uh, can actually bring us together. And I think it's a a really lovely and kind of heartfelt note uh, that this that resonates long after you see this film. Why was it important for you uh, to add that element to this story?
1: Um, Well, you know, partly speaking as a a scientist as well, you know, trauma is really, really complicated and when trauma or abuse happens you know in in a family where there is also love it can be really really confusing mm-hmm. so you know to me the the film is kind of addressing that head on you know there's a scene where we see um you know we see Dustin's you know character comforting this child who has been hurt and we don't know why And we find out, you know, a handful of scenes later that it was he who caused that, you know, and the notion that there's that complexity is really what I think I don't know if I can even say, like, I think it's important to show. It's just what happens in a lot of families that it's not. We've seen a lot of movies about like, oh, you thought your parent was good, but they're bad. Right. Or, oh, you know, they're bad. But like, oh, are they good? Like this, this family, it's it's all there. There's not really like a mystery about the complexity. And that was important to me to show.
0: The parents are abusive by times in this film. And yet you pity them in some way, I think as the, as the story kind of unfolds. And I think part of that has to be the casting. You've got Dustin Hoffman, you've got Candice Bergen, beloved actors who really bring a deep well of humanity to mm-hmm. everything that they do. So tell me about casting because you've got a tremendous cast. I mean, Diana Argon and Simon Helberg and, and, uh, but let's concentrate on Candace Bergen and Dustin Hoffman for a little bit, because if they don't work, the movie doesn't work
1: yeah i mean that's um well put you know it, it is it is the way i wrote it meaning the way i wrote it and the way the conversations that i had to you know kind of prepare them for this um was a lot of what was important to me and yes those are masterful masterful performers it mm-hmm. you know in in my opinion um you know i don't think of the word you know the notion that we can have compassion for people who also are very troubled I think is important and significant and in many ways more important than this notion of forgiveness you know some people have asked me like is your movie about forgiveness no I actually don't really think about (laughs) forgiveness I think about um you know moving through life with grace and dignity so that you can not do the things that were done to you that you didn't like right but also um you know maintain some health the people who have you know, who have not liked this film have not liked it because they're uncomfortable with those feelings, meaning like that's explicit. I'm not trying to psychoanalyze people who don't like this movie. Like you don't have to like it, it's
0: fine. You're listening to Mayim Bialik on The Richard Krause Show. Find her film As They Made Us on VOD right now.
1: But I'm saying like the comments that I've read is like, these people are so difficult. Like, why would you want to be around them? Exactly. Sometimes it's like that. But for me, there's more of a redemptive aspect. You know, there is an arc of each character. Like I actually thought about it. I worked on it. You know, there's an arc for Barbara. There's an arc for Abigail. There's an arc, you know, for, for Nathan and, and for Eugene as well. Like that's often what trauma, you know, will do. It forces you to hold all of it and then see kind of what's left over
0: what do you hope uh, that people take away from the story? And I think maybe you've just answered that question, but uh, yeah, that's it, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of it. Um, You know, it is very, very subjective. You know, Mm -hmm. this film is not like, there's not, you're not going to have kind of a universal, this felt really good to watch. Like it's very complicated and, you know, I've heard from so many people like this helped me process this reminded me of how I process this gave me comfort, like whatever it is, it's extremely subjective, as are all films, you know. Um, but, you know, I think it's it's very important as a female filmmaker, as a first time filmmaker, um, you know, to also show that that women do these things. We we direct movies and, you know, things like that. And, um, uh, you know, sitcom actors sometimes grow up to make movies like this.
0: That was Mayim Bialik on The Richard Krause Show. Find her film As They Made Us on VOD right now. Oh, and don't forget to watch her on Jeopardy! In the closing minutes of the show, I wanted to introduce you to No Violet Bulawayo. Her new novel, Glory, is set in the fictionalized country of Jedada, but it's actually a brash and boisterous take on No Violet's home country of Zimbabwe and their political life. We often only think of books as being literary influences, but you had a much more personal connection, which were your grandmother's stories.
3: You know, I, I grew up every uh, time before TV and uh, I'm, I'm sure some families, you know, who could afford it um, probably did have TV at the time. But for my family, there was no TV until I was around 16, 17. Mm. And when I saw it, I didn't know what to do with it. I was not attached to it. you know. <laughs> right. um, but my grandmother was my TV growing up uh, during the school holidays, especially we were shipped to the village. My father had, my grandfather, my father's dad, had four wives. So we were this small, little clan really of kids seated, seated around the fire, listening to the senior wife tell us stories every night. They were stories of animals. And thinking back to that time, it was really an, a university of some sort because I learned so much about language. I learned so much about character. I learned so much about animal behavior. I learned so much about humor, just being in that space throughout my my childhood. And it really helped me out when I started going to school and my English teachers would be like, okay, write a story. You know, English was my favorite subject, partly for that reason, that it was where I could, Retell my grandmother's stories, you know. So, yeah, I had that background saving me, and of course, these many years later, writing Glory, it really felt like I was channeling um, her voice, channeling her craft in this moment that was that was unfolding. And of course, um, Animal Farm was also in my in my mind because of you know the similarities in the story, the story of the revolution. Betrayed. So it really felt like a. Uh, it- it- It really felt like a joy and a privilege to actually marry the two different traditions.
0: That was No Violet Bulawayo on The Richard Krauss Show. Find her book, Glory, wherever fine books are sold. Thanks to No Violet for coming by. More of her interview in the coming weeks. Also, a big thanks to Jamie Chai Young Liu. Check out her book, Dandelion, in fine bookstores and online. A big thanks to Maya Bialik. Her new film and directorial debut, As They Made Us, is on VOD right now
1: caregiver agency. I gotta fire another one. Oh no, Mom. What did he do? He was giving your father
3: marijuana
1: in the form of cute little bears. Mom, he was one of the good ones. Of course,
0: my biggest thanks, as always, goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krause. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe, stay weird, and we'll talk again soon. (laughs)